White House keeps saying a vaccine will be ready for everyone before the election, which seems pretty impossible. The new American Girl doll is almost as old as us, and no, we are not okay. (laughs) And we've got co-host of the V Word podcast, Dr. Jen Conti, here to talk about how hard it is for women to get the health care they need. The date, September 17th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey, friends, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. I gotta say, I'm a little surprised and semi- I'm trying to figure out how I feel about the fact that not many people have sent us that what they think is in the Red Lobster Dugarita at this point. Because they are probably just as scared of it as we are. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean... But I still want to try it. So, guys, if if you if you have an idea of what is in it, please let us know. Right. I don't want us to go flying blind in here because uh, I we promised that we would drink this horror show for you, the listeners. (laughs) So this is not for our benefit. We promise you. So if you have an idea, let us know. Email us at news o'clock at BuzzFeed.com. Okay, time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. First up, President Trump says that he gave the director of the CDC a little phone call to correct him on when a vaccine for the coronavirus will be available. Earlier on Wednesday, CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield said when speaking before Congress that a vaccine wouldn't likely be ready for most Americans until spring or summer of 2021. Emphasis on most there. The president then opted at a press conference later in the day to say that he'd called up Redford and assured the gathered reporters that the director had, quote, made a mistake when he said that. Instead, Trump continued to insist that a vaccine could be available for mass consumption in just a few months, despite, as you may have heard in yesterday's interview, there being no real chance of that happening. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows weighed in this morning, telling Fox News, quote, I'm not sure where Dr. Redfield got his particular timetable, but it's not based on those that are closest to the process. Both Meadows and Trump seem to be stressing the earliest time when a vaccine may be approved and conflating it with when that vaccine would be available to average people like you and me, which, as Redfield said, would probably be sometime next year. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice reportedly spent the summer of unrest and protests against police brutality wondering if they could bring charges against officials in at least two major cities. Yesterday, the New York Times reported that Attorney General Bill Barr told federal prosecutors in a call last week that they should consider charging rioters and others who had taken part in violence around protests in recent months with sedition. Now, sedition, it's not a phrase we hear a lot these days, so it's a refresher. Sedition is the crime of insurrection against a lawful authority. The Times also said that Barr asked prosecutors in the Department's Civil Rights Division to explore criminal charges against Mayor Jenny Durkin of Seattle. Durkin allowed some residents to establish a police-free protest zone near the city's downtown for weeks this summer, which did not sit well with Barr. The DOJ denied that this had ever happened in a statement to the Times. But just today, the Associated Press reported something similar. Apparently, the DOJ was also at the time exploring whether they could bring either criminal or civil charges against city officials in Portland for not helping the federal officers who were there to control the protesters gathering at a federal courthouse. Barr has been on a bit of a tear lately, defending the president's attacks on voting by mail and his calls for law and order. In a speech at a conservative college last night, Barr slammed career lawyers at the department, comparing them to preschoolers as he pressed back on claims that he was warping the rule of law to protect the president's allies. Okay, Hayes, what is up with Barr? Like, what, 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 
what are all of his motivations for doing this? I don't know. So, so Barr is a fascinating character. He was attorney general under George H.W. Bush. And so when he came in to office as Trump's second attorney general, people were like, oh, finally, a cool, steady hand to help you know, keep Trump in line. But the problem with that is Barr believes in something called the unitary executive. For the most part, people think of the president as, you know, he is the chief executive and head of the various departments and agencies of the federal government. Barr believes that, no, the president is the executive branch, period. He is the sole vested power by the Constitution with the executive power and anything that, you know, ties him up in terms of having to report to Congress or anything like that, meh. He doesn't believe it matters. So there was a great story in Washington Post magazine this weekend that basically asked, is Trump, this guy who wants to believe that he can do anything as president using Barr or as Barr, this person who has for years thought that the president should be able to do what they want without interference using Trump? And it's kind of a both ways dance. Yeah, that's a good question. And one where both answers are not great. Correct. (laughs) All right. What's happening in the world of pop culture today, Casey? Well, we have new details for the upcoming season of Saturday Night Live, and there are going to be some welcome new faces in the cast. Ahead of the start of the premiere of its 46th season, SNL announced three new cast members would be joining their ranks. That includes Punky Johnson, what a great name, who will be the first out Black lesbian to be featured on the show. Danita Vance, who died in 1994, was a cast member in SNL's 11th season, but didn't come out publicly in her lifetime. And because we can't forget that it's an election year, NBC announced that Jim Carrey will be playing Joe Biden this season. Carrey got his start in sketch comedy on In Living Color back in the early 90s, so it totally makes sense that they'd want someone like him for the part. He's not going to be officially part of the cast, but he's joining a growing lineup of stars that make regular appearances, including Robert De Niro as Robert Mueller, Brad Pitt as Dr. Anthony Fauci, and of course, Alec Baldwin as President Donald Trump. The show will be returning to NBC with a reduced in-house audience on October 3rd, just a few days after the first presidential debate. Which will absolutely have to be their cold open. Like, congrats Uh, to them for coming back when they have such an perfect thing to be the cold open back into the into the season like they have the debate they're going to bring back alec baldwin probably they're going to have jim carrey everyone's going to tune in laughs will be had and tears i'm sure and since it's since it's the premiere i hope maya rudolph uh shows up as kamala harris you know i mean it's a chance to throw in every famous celeb they can get also i do want to talk about jim carrey because yes snl never never took him on he auditioned they didn't want him and in living color was like, hell yeah, we want Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Jim Carrey wanting to be the token. <laughs> yes, color. Bless yes. you. Bless you for that, my guy. <laughs> okay, moving on. This is mildly horrifying. There's going to be a new American Girl doll and the historical time period she's from has me feeling very ancient. For those of you who somehow avoided this trend over the years, the American Girl dolls are very expensive dolls that each represent a girl from an era in American history. There's been Samantha from 1904, Kirsten from the 1850s, Felicity from the American Revolution. You get the idea. Well, next month, the company is releasing a doll named Courtney from the long ago time period of 1986. (laughs) Like all of the dolls in the series, she's going to also have books about her adventures. And the press release for her describes her as, quote, a total 80s girl whose big, bright and bold ideas inspire today's girls to find their inner hero to accomplish great things. 
She's also apparently going to be a gamer with a top score at her local arcade on Pac-Man. Among the accessories that you can get for Courtney, a mini caboodle, lip smackers, lip gloss, and Care Bears pajamas. I am crawling into the grave right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Like the only thing making this semi-okay in my brain is, uh, I don't know how old this girl is supposed to be during these stories, but the fact that I was born a year after these stories take place means that she's got to be at least like what 10 years older than me right, plus yeah. so that's that's a small comfort i'm gonna take it <laughs> yeah but we should hold on to that you're right because it is funny because i remember when i was younger my grandma her big present was to each to give a doll to my sister and I, and we each got one. And I got Samantha, shout out to Samantha. My sister though, she wanted one of the modern dolls. So there was, there was this thing where you could get a doll that was from that year. She basically just like looked like, you know, like she was from whatever year my sister got her from. But this is different. This one is specifically dated. Like she is now a historical artifact. <laughs> like us. Like, like us. us. She's a historical artifact. <laughs> I don't like do you, it. Do you want to know what I never want to see? I never want to see the historical doll from 2020. <laughs> oh my gosh. That poor thing in her baggy sweatpants trying to do Zoom classes, trying to learn in the fifth grade with a face mask on. Poor thing. Yeah, I hope I hope that the top is like a nice looking top you'd wear to school and then the bottom is pajamas. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Mattel, we've got terrible ideas for you. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we've got Dr. Jen Conti of the V Word podcast with us. Be right back. Chief-It. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Thursday, February 10th, kick off Super Bowl 56 weekend with host Keegan-Michael Key. Find out who will be named the AP Most Valuable Player, delivered by Pizza Hut, the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year, presented by Nationwide, and more. Plus, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 2022, delivered with Uber Eats, will be revealed. NFL Honors, presented by Invisalign, Thursday, February 10th at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, on ABC, NFL Network, and ESPN+. All times live except in the Pacific Time Zone. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment, from DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start, and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
Welcome back. This may sound familiar to you if you were assigned female at birth and have had to deal with health insurance ever. Last week, Academy Award-winning actor Hilary Swank sued her actor's union after her health insurance denied coverage for treating malignant ovarian cysts. Swank said she was, quote, truly exhausted by the way women's ovarian and cyclical health issues continue to be treated by healthcare insurance companies. And she is very much not alone. Joining us today to talk about the issues that Swank and others face in getting their issues actually treated is Dr. Jen Conti. She's an OBGYN physician at Stanford University and the co-host of the V Word podcast. Dr. Jen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So Swank is like rich and famous, but her story sounded pretty familiar to a lot of people. How common is it in your experience for health issues that are related to women's bodies to not be covered properly? Oh my God. So common. It's funny when I saw the news of this, I immediately just like stories of people I knew, patients I've seen just started popping into my head. And I, um, I tweeted about it. And then the first thing I, you know, that came to mind was like, oh my God, if I had a dollar for every single minute that I have spent on the phone arguing with insurance companies, trying to get my patients procedures or imaging that I order for them, just anything necessary for their health reimbursed. It's, it's ridiculous how often this is, this comes up as an issue. So I'm wondering though, how often that works the other way around? Are, are there cases you can think of where there's an issue that happens mostly with men and not women that tends to be ignored or not covered by insurance? Just trying to nip that one in the bud. Yeah. I mean, um, it's hard because I, I see, I definitely see trans men in my practice, but I don't see people who, um, you know, are, are cisgender men. So I can't, I don't have that like, you know, one-to-one comparison. Um, but just having that lived experience of fighting for women and then talking to my husband, who is also a physician, he's a urologist and he sees men and women, but primarily men. Um, it's, it's kind of a foreign thing to him. Like, so just anecdotally, it's not something that he fights with, uh, insurance companies about as much. Up until 1993, women were largely excluded from clinical research and trials. How much does the legacy of that affect how we think about women's health today? Oh, I, I mean, Almost entirely. I mean, we know that there is a, I would say just on a broader level, like a lack of public health education about how one diseases can look different in men than they do in women. But that comes, I think, largely from just like the fact that historically, a lot of our understanding medically comes from studies that are done primarily on cisgender men, even if it's for a medication for women. So like a really fascinating example of this is the medicine Addy, which is people call it like the, the female equivalent of Viagra. So this is a medication that's meant to help with low sexual desire, low libido in women. And when they were studying this drug, like this is a fascinating story to look into. When they were studying this drug, they studied it primarily on men. And still right now, I think actually they may have just changed this. There was a black box warning for a long time, cautioning women who took this, be really careful when you take this medication and when you're drinking, because you can have really low blood pressure, you can pass out faint. And it was this big reaction that had happened in men when they studied this drug for female arousal disorders. So they hadn't even like verified this with women, but they were cautioning women and essentially telling them, making them sign papers. You cannot drink alcohol while you're taking this largely because of what they found with men. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg, honestly. Um, Yeah. So when you said that, that made me think of something that I realized last year. Uh, I 
found out that TV shows predominantly show how heart attacks appear in men, but not women. And that blew my mind. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because as a woman, I was like, oh, my left arm will hurt. That's how I'll know. Yes. So this is the common example that comes up when we talk about pain and how it presents differently in men versus women. And there's this big study that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is like our big, one of our big medical journals that found that women are actually seven times more likely than men to be misdiagnosed and sent home from the hospital in the middle of a heart attack. And that's because one, kind of going back to what we mentioned, like our understanding of what heart attacks are and how they present is based on studies that were primarily done in white men. So if you aren't having that like classic pain in your left shoulder or your neck or that like elephant squishing your chest kind of feeling, they're like, oh, it's not a heart attack, go home. When we know that in women, cardiac disease and heart attacks presents in all kinds of ways. So related to all that, uh, celebrity food writer and host Padma Lakshmi told Women's Health magazine in September that she's angry that her lifelong endometriosis took so long to diagnose and treat, and she feels like she lost years of her life. I have several friends who went through the same thing. Why is it that chronic pain symptoms in women tend to be ignored? Yeah, I think that's a great topic because it, it kind of brings into light pain in general, not just like those classic heart attack pain. And we know that chronic pain, like 70, it's some really high percent, like 70% of people with chronic pain are women. Um, endometriosis is a really common one because I would say the vast majority of people with endometriosis, when they finally seek care, it's something like their third or fourth doctor. Like they've seen so many different providers by the time they're actually getting treated for it because it just keeps getting passed off. And I think I mean, going back to the numbers, because the data doesn't lie, um, we know that from a lot of different studies, I was kind of pulling numbers right before this, both doctors and nurses prescribe less pain medication to women than men after surgery. So not really with endometriosis, but surgery. We know that women wait longer than men to receive pain medication in the emergency room for any condition. We know that women are more likely than men to be told that their pain is psychosomatic or emotional. And then one study found that even women are more likely than men to receive sedatives rather than actual pain medication following surgery. So it's like insert whatever medical condition you want here, endometriosis, chronic pain from ovarian cysts, fibromyalgia, whatever it is, there are so many data that show over and over and over again that we're just ignoring women and ignoring what they're telling us. In your new book, The Vagina Book, An Owner's Manual, you specifically talked about how BIPOC are disproportionately affected by ignorance in the medical system. What kind of work is being done about those disparities? It's, oh my God, this is like a huge eye roll slash feeling of wanting to throw up. It's, it is such a huge problem. And I think, I think you kind of have to go back for people who may not be familiar and just sort of set the stage and realize that since the beginning of time, essentially, we have been experimenting on black women and women of color to, you know, determine what medical procedures we have today to even determine the tools. The speculum, for example, this is like a classic story within gynecology, but the speculum was tested on black slaves. That's how we got the speculum. It's, I mean, it is insane. This history runs so deep. So, you know, extrapolate that and fast forward to even 2020. And it's no wonder that people of color, that, you know, biracial indigenous people of color 
not just black women, are at such a disadvantage because we have from the beginning of time in the medical community really treated them like they're second class citizens. Um, uh, and I think, <laughs> you know, this is this is kind of an offshoot of that. But another really huge issue is the whole issue right now with black maternal mortality specifically in pregnancy and postpartum. This is a really big disparity right now. Like you said, that history of medical testing being done without their consent, uh, that makes people wary of, say, calling for Black volunteers for a study. What would you say for, like, the coronavirus vaccine testing? How do we get past that? Oh, my God, I know. And what's happening now, too, in Africa? So not even talking about Black women and Black people in America, but, like, there were all these all this news coming out potentially about the first rounds of these vaccines being used in Africa. And like, is that ethically right? Like why Africa, why not the U.S.? You know, it just, I I honestly don't know. And I think this is such a convoluted question because you have the Trump administration saying that there's going to be a vaccine before the election. And it kind of pulls into question this whole idea of a vaccine in general is, you know, if it's being pushed for political reasons, is it going to be something that's, you know, medically vetted? Some good news is you have a lot of uh, vaccine companies saying we are not going to push this forward just for political purposes. And I hope that they would have the same take on the people that that get that first round or that they're testing it on. Like this needs to have equal representation and it can't be something that's certainly not tested or or used in people without their consent. So... We've been going through this pandemic for six months now, causing all kinds of havoc in the healthcare system. Last thing, am I wrong to assume that women's health issues are being particularly affected by all of this? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, you can fit so many different scenarios within women's health in there. But one thing that that comes to mind is that as I'm an OBGYN that practices all kinds of OBGYN, a generalist. I deliver babies. I do hysterectomies. I also do abortion care. And a huge issue right now with abortion care is just, I mean, the politicalization of it and how access to abortion care is already such an issue. And then you introduce something like a pandemic where, especially in the early parts of the pandemic, like people couldn't leave their house and clinics were shutting down except for essential care. And what is essential care? Is termination or abortion care essential? I would argue absolutely it is. And now you have people who already have to drive hundreds of miles to get good care, but then that clinic might be shut down because of a pandemic or they're at a socioeconomic disadvantage because they've lost their job because of the pandemic. And now they can't afford to drive there or afford the procedure. And it's just like so compounded this issue. Well, Dr. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to explain all this to us. Absolutely. I am so happy to to talk about this. Clearly, this is like a soapbox issue I could talk for hours. Okay, we have time for one more thing. And Hayes, did you know that there's a new Anastasia movie out? I'm sorry. Um, even <laughs> if there is, my allegiance is firmly towards the one from the 90s with Meg Ryan and Christopher Lloyd as an evil zombie Rasputin. So, okay, yeah. that makes sense, though. That that song from that movie, from her dancing box, whatever, her music Oh, my box, God. Uh, Once Upon a December. Iconic. Stuck, stuck in my head at various points throughout my life. will just pop in whenever. So, yes, that is the correct take. But no. Okay, listen. The movie Anastasia, Once Upon a Time, came out in April, and it sounds absolutely bonkers. Wait, more bonkers than the aforementioned zombie rescue, because I got to, with the talking bats, more bonkers than that. 
Yes, please, please listen to this. Okay, this is the plot synopsis, and, and you tell me what you think. Rasputin helps Anastasia escape Lenin's murderous plot through a time travel portal. Landing in Madison, USA in 1988, Anastasia is befriended by a teenage girl, Megan, while hiding from Rasputin, who, bound by an evil spell, is out to capture her. Okay, my initial reaction is, <laughs> wow, I... Wow, that's that goes places. <laughs> okay, just wait. Please listen to how the main character explains all of this herself in the trailer. Lenin rose against us. Rasputin created a portal to a place where we would be safe. He sent me through with this amulet. For its globe would guide me to someone I could trust. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's um. That's a film. That is a, that is cinema right there. I have tears in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a couple of things. I one, that synopsis you read me. It just Madison, USA. Where in the USA? Doesn't matter. A suburb, I'm guessing. I'm sorry. This one this one really got me. It broke me. Okay, here's what really gets me is the horrible Russian accents. Okay. Oh my gosh. I find I find that often when there's an Americanized Russian movie, they usually don't go with a Russian accent. They go with a um with an English accent. It's somewhere in the middle, not American, not Russian. They go, <laughs> they go in the middle country wise, right? But this one, they were like, no, we want to commit to a Russian accent. And I was looking up reviews of the movie and, and some, uh, someone was just like, yeah, their accent just falls in and out the entire time. I wish they would have just not done it, which checks out for the whole, this whole movie feels extremely low budget. So this would happen. Yeah. Looking up this cast, I feel bad for poor Joe Coy as Rasputin. Like, oh no, my guy, this is not the feature film you want on your imdb but i I gotta say this this actually gives me a bit of nostalgia for like the clearly shitty kids movies that were in like the kids section of the uh, video store when we were young where it's like i they made this for like 20 bucks just to put it on video and for people (laughs) to rent it that was their plan here and i think this is similar I think it's similar and it's probably working. This is the movie that you play for your kids when you want to go get things done. So now I gotta say Casey, I think we need to watch this film. We need to see how long we can sit through this movie. Okay, you are going to make me drink a Dugarita yep. and watch Anastasia. Maybe at the this- same time. Who knows? <laughs> the only way to do it. Oh, man. All right, that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with former housing secretary and host of the new podcast, Our America, Julian Castro. And remember, if a little girl comes up to you with a shitty Russian accent, she might be Anastasia. So... Be wary. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. I'm John Gonzalez, the host of SI's new podcast, Sports Illustrated Weekly. Sports Illustrated has delivered some of the best storytelling in sports for 70 years. 
And now that continues on our show. Each week, we'll dive deep into the best stories from around the sports world. Sports Illustrated Weekly is available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now.